am Jennifer Zeman, your host of the Food That Binds on the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network. Today, I'm joined by Julia Kessler-Emmerman, born in South Africa, but raised in Georgia. Julia owns Stop, Think, Chew, a holistic food company in Atlanta. Stop, Think, Chew offers a weekly meal prep delivery service, catering, and wholesale products. But Julia is also in the process of opening a new restaurant, her first. We talked about everything from her grandmother, who's called the Julia Child of South Africa, to what it means to truly be healthy and have a balanced relationship with food. Hi, Julia. Thanks for being here. Hi, Jennifer. I'm really excited to be here. And thank you so much for having me. So if you were going to tell my listeners who have no idea who you are, who you are, can you tell us what you do? Yes. So um, I guess my name is Julia Kessler Immerman. Um, that recently got out on about a year ago. Um, <laughs> I am a owner. I used to say private chef. So I'd say I'm the owner of a holistic food company called Stop think chew. We are a company that focuses on whole foods, um, supporting local farmers and creating easily accessible, nourishing meals through either our meal prep delivery program or wholesale with partners like Fresh Harvest. So we are a holistic food company that is growing rapidly based here in Atlanta, Georgia. And you have quite the pedigree. You graduated from NYU. And then you also have a accreditation with the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. Can you tell people who don't know what that means, what that means? Yeah. So I went to NYU out of high school. I actually applied as a, a speech therapy major. And I always joke that I don't know if I would have gotten in if I applied for what I ended up doing. So it kind of worked out well. I could transfer internally. but. I applied as a speech therapy major and then ended up in NYU's Gallatin School of Individualized Study. It was the best and most unique experience I could have ever asked for. I basically majored in, I created my own major, but it was like a cross between nutrition, urban food studies, and social entrepreneurship. And I would say all of that influences how Stop Think Chew began. But I had the opportunity to take classes that were on, you know, nutrition, just general social entrepreneurship, like how to business classes, but that had a a more civic focus and really also understanding like the landscape of urban food environments, food deserts and access to food. So all of that combined was a little bit of a mishmash, but it turned out into really being born into what Stop Think Chew began. And then to kind of uh, elevate and give me a little bit more credibility and knowledge around food, but not just food or nutrition as a dietitian, which I also almost went back to school for, much more holistic approach, whole food eating, bad diets and why they don't work. But the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, IIN, gave me a health coaching certification. And I've really used that also to inform and influence my relationships with private clients, which is how Stop Think Chew began. So not only was I able to cook whole foods locally sourced with a real emphasis on supporting Atlanta farmers, coupled with being able to coach clients through eating, through habits, while providing them the food at the same time. So it was kind of like a wraparound service. But yeah, it just gave me deeper knowledge on and I would say tools to to talk through why we have certain relationships with food, um, 
my own struggles with disordered eating and a complex relationship with food as a young woman in this world. Um, as I said to you before, kind of before we started recording, like, I don't know any young women, I'm 27, that are my age or friends or a little bit older that haven't had a, a messed up relationship with food one way or another, which says a lot about our society that could take me down a whole other rabbit hole. But um, so we'll get there because I have one myself <laughs> at 44. Um, and I have been, I think, exploring through this podcast. Why? But let's get to the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. when did you know that food was going to be a thing for you? It's a great question because food has always been a thing for me, but wasn't necessarily going to be my profession. As I said, I applied to school thinking I was going to be a speech therapist, which now is just so funny because I am not a science uh, minded person, although sometimes I wish I was. <laughs> but a little background, my grandmother in South Africa has been a food writer. Um, she was a food writer for 27 years at a magazine called Fair Lady. And she used to travel the world eating and writing and cooking and has worked. And she's my grandmother. I'm not going to reveal her age. She would be very upset with me. <laughs> but is <laughs> still running around Cape Town working, working with chefs in Cape Town. What's her name? Her name's Annette Kessler. And she has a website still called showcook.com. And she has a business partner and they basically run an inter-hotel chef's challenge. COVID has proven challenging to that, but they're still going. Inter-hotel chef's challenge with South Africa's top chefs, top culinary schools. And then they award these chefs a stage or like an externship in another hotel outside of the country. So they've had partnerships with chefs in outside of Massachusetts in Cape Cod, Mauritius, the Seychelles, India. She's really been a huge influence in my life. So that was always kind of around. Did you grow up there or did you grow up here in Atlanta? I was born in South Africa and I grew up in Atlanta. We moved when I was three and a half, um, but spent like opposite climate. So spent June basically through the end of July or beginning of August our summers back in South Africa. And so, yeah, she was just always a major influence. And then she is my paternal grandmother. So my dad also is an excellent cook. He was always the cook growing up. Um, I did not grow up in a household where my mom was responsible for all of the cooking at all. I mean, my mom loves good food, but also like she can make a few good things and she does those really well. But uh, (laughs) But like something something that you said in another interview was interesting to me because I also resonated with that, that you never had snacks laying around. Yeah. Like if we didn't have prepared foods either. If I wanted something, I had to make, make it. it. Yeah, that is like, so I would go to my, I joke because it's still a long time friend of mine. And I would, I still joke with her that like, I'm still feeding her because she orders our meal prep now. <laughs> but we used to go to her house and there would be bagel bites and I don't know nice. what those other things are. All the good um, stuff. All the yeah, and I'd be like, oh my god, bagel bites. Yes. <laughs> but they would come to our house, and it's like, okay, like what's in the fridge? Oh, the whole wheat bread. Oh, like Kerry Gold cheddar cheese, and like maybe tomatoes. And it was that was probably our closest junk food was like making a, a toasted cheese from scratch grading, but we went on a bachelorette with a group of girlfriends that grew up, you know, coming to my house and doing this. And they were like, Oh, Julia, please make the toasted cheese. 
<laughs> still doing this. But yeah, no, no snacks. Like my dad, you know, we were eating organic and my dad's been talking about cold pressed oils and the benefits of like anchovies and, you know, omega threes since we were very young. He definitely should have been in the culinary world, but doing it with his influence and support. So food was just always a thing. And like I not having any junk food in the house, my sister would then like, you know, once she got a car would always go through a drive through. So then this, this relationship with, yeah, with like too much healthy food in the house versus like not being able to eat quote unquote junk food definitely influenced both of our eating habits. Um, I was like super active in high school. I played lacrosse and I danced. But again, like I said, I don't know any girl who hasn't had like body dysmorphia issues or disordered eating at some point and like not wanting to eat, you know, and then binging and all of that stuff. So that's when the nutrition side became really interesting to me too. And when I got into NYU and decided to transfer into Gallatin and took, I just started taking classes about food, which was, you know, the cool thing. I took an incredible class around like the politics of food with a woman named Maisha Priest and just stories and lineages. And I was like, wow, you can study this. Like did not know you could study it in that way. And then was always taking nutrition because I was like, okay, what is your body doing when you eat certain things? Why are you craving certain things? Where's like, the balance. Yeah, it was it was very interesting to couple that together, but both from just the food pure enjoyment side that the I guess culinary influence that like my grandmother's influence brings in plus some of my dad's maybe tidbits about nutrition and eating like these high quality ingredients um I think made me, you know, really interested in not only the pleasures of food but also understanding like how to eat for your body and how to really nourish your body as opposed to just eating to exist. And also that really healthy or whole foods can taste really good. And that's really how Stop Them Chew began. I was moved back to Atlanta after living in New York and working for several food startups in New York, interning with like Dig In and Saqqara Life, both influences in how Stop Think Chew, you know, is now. I worked for a caterer when I moved here and just did not love that. And then worked for the Captain Planet Foundation for three years, which was more the nonprofit side of food, putting school gardens into elementary schools through their um, project learning garden program. That's Ted Turner, right? Yeah. So his daughter, Laura, runs the foundation and is the chairperson, but it is in the house of Ted Turner's foundations. And it was an incredible experience. I was... In, very involved with Project Learning Garden. And that was more of that urban food studies kind of side coming into that influence. And would you say that's, I think I read that you had said in another interview that that was kind of the, the Captain Planet experience kind of pushed you really even more onto the farmer and local side and really understanding that relationship between us, our plate and the ground. Absolutely. So when I started working for Captain Planet, we were working really, number one, putting gardens in school. So it was like literally the growing piece. But my boss at the time, she still runs the foundation. Uh, Her name is Lisa Carter-Jones. And I'll say, and I saw her recently and just told she was the best boss I ever had because she let me 
go sit in for her for Food Well Alliance on like advisory board committees. And she really knew what I was interested in, which was the Project Learning Gardens, the my official role was de- uh, development manager, development and events manager. So I put on like the 500 plus person gala every year and worked really closely with Laura and the development team. And I guess it was donor relationships, but just kind of all of the things. And like now my favorite part of Stop Think Chew or how it evolved was a lot of the customer piece, you know, and getting to know my um, the people I work with closely. But just as an aside. So working for Captain Planet really allowed me to dive into the local food scene. With that title and relationship, I you know, started going to community farmers markets. Like I said, I sat on advisory board committee meetings to step in for Lisa when was necessary. Worked really closely with the schools and the sponsors of these garden programs and just really got to know the local food community here, which I'm so grateful for. Global Growers was included in that. And just all of the, like Wholesome Wave, all of the um, nonprofit leaders were there. And I had the opportunity to literally sit at the table with them and really got to know them. So through that, I started doing chef demos at Community Farmers Market. And I just wanted to cook more, really. So I was had this job that I loved. And then through a nutritionist in Atlanta, I was meal prepping for my boyfriend, now husband at the time. And we were just kind of meal prepping for the week. And I was like, I think I could do this for people. Like, because somebody asked me and I was like, sure. And whatever, one thing led to another. And so this nutritionist in Atlanta started referring her clients to me. And I say this side hustle became main hustle and I could no longer do both. And I thought I was going to go back to school to become a dietitian. So I was taking like the entry classes at Georgia State a lot of moving parts. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to go back in this history because I have forgotten. No, it's interesting to me. It's just that we all have, as food people, it seems like we all have very like jagged exactly. you know, lines to get to where we are today. Like I studied marketing at Emory. I didn't think I was going to be a journalist and restaurant. But it makes but sense. It does. It, it, it's all part of the story. Every step is another step. But with the food, you mentioned earlier that you had your own disordered relationship with eating and part of stop think chew your food is different than a lot of people's and there is a lot of love and there is a lot of flavor and there are a lot of layers and it doesn't seem your typical meal prep where it's like yo eat this like salmon with brown rice and steamed broccoli over and over and over again maybe some tuna until you're skinny this feels like like you're doing something really good for your body did that evolve out of your own relationship with yours? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like I've been like I've been stable for a while, like stable in my relationship with food for a while that like it's good to think about, you know, what you're asking and bringing it up and I would say I used to be the no carb, no this, no that. Okay, I need to lose weight. Okay, I need to step on the scale and of just five pounds. And I would say I've been lucky. Like I haven't um, in, okay. So as being a Jewish woman, you know, the, and being Jewish South Africans, probably like Mexican Jews also <laughs> have this whole thing with food. And I mean, it's like being skinny is expected. And if the ultimate goal, I'm it's the ultimate enough. goal and it's expected. And if you're not like somebody says something, or if they don't say something to you, they're like, oh my God, did you see that person's gained a bit of weight, eh? <laughs> and I'm like, 
oh my God. And that's, and they don't, you know, it's not meant, but we joke now that that is like real, that, that, that literally, and people don't know that they're doing it, but it's a comment. It's like, oh my, or, oh my God, you look so good. You definitely lost weight. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you only look good if you lost weight. Oh, shame. She's gained a bit of weight. It's like, you know, it's pretty messed up that that's like how we grow up. And yeah. then in, in those cultures too, they're so food focused. So there's this love of food and there's tons of food that's really not oh, good right. for you, but you're only, you're supposed to have superhuman willpower and remain yeah. very And skinny. just like be able to eat it, but also like be really skinny. And my mom now has a healthy relationship with food, but also like, oh, I had a heavy weekend or we drank a lot. Okay, so this week I'm just eating greens and protein. And it's like, is that sustainable? You know, so I think all of those things influenced it. I will say I studied abroad in college in Berlin and then went back to Cape Town and definitely ate like my fair share of dinner kebabs and bread and everything. Mm. Oh, so good. And definitely like gained a bit of weight in Berlin and whatever. Now I look at pictures and I'm like, body shaming myself but I'm also like I was really enjoying myself and then went to Cape Town and I think I was the healthiest that I sustained that maybe up and down but I was like living on the beach lifestyle excellent clean and and then I think actually just being with my grandma cooking all the time and she eats whatever she wants like the cake that she makes though and the bread she makes and the potatoes she makes and I was like I think that just at time and really just cooking and being intentional about it really balanced out my relationship with food. And then I went back to New York, but that definitely reshaped just because she literally eats everything, pasta, potatoes, but just makes it herself and like eats one plate of it and is super satisfied. And that really shifted my relationship. And it's, you know, it's always an up and down thing, but that's what I wanted to give to people is stop thinking true. I'm like, you can eat four ounces of grains uh, and beans and there's starch and there's protein and all of this, but you eat that. I mean, I have, you know, one of the soba bowls here. I know it's one of your favorites and we talked about it. Yes, shredded soba bowl, get on it. (laughs) But like you're full for a long time or our overnight oats. It's like a good, you know, three quarter cup of oats with, fat of the peanut butter or almond milk or, you know, there's a few versions now, but you are balancing your blood sugar, you're staying full, and then you're not crashing and are so hungry that you want to eat everything, you know, later on. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I did it yesterday. I had a banana in the morning and then I like was very busy and didn't eat until later. And then I ate too much and was like, wow, there's a reason that, you know, (laughs) I tell people not to do this to themselves. So it's definitely just been an evolution and a and a journey with my own experience. But the biggest thing that I, and I don't like with our meal prep, as you know, it's just real food. It's ever, a lot of things have a starch. You can also just, if you don't want to yeah, eat. There's white rice, there's meat, there's lamb. You, you don't, you, there's cheese. You put it all in there. Yeah. And there's options for everyone, which I do pride ourselves on like having plenty of vegan options. Most things are gluten-free just by 
design. But if you're eating whole foods, like most things are gluten-free. I love farro though, not a gluten-free grain. Fine. It's still on. I didn't know it was. I I thought it would be gluten-free. Interesting. Farro is not. Like farro and couscous, two of the big ones that I would say we use, um, are not gluten-free. And like that's okay. That's on Fresh Harvest next week. I know a lot of people want gluten-free, but also we but again having options and like choices. So if you don't want to eat the rice, totally fine. You can get a lot of proteins. Like all our proteins are now available a la carte, tons of vegetables available a la carte. Mm -hmm. And it's just been interesting to see what people want and how they design it for themselves. But I appreciate you saying that it's different because we do try, like, I want you to feel like you can get either, you know, the benefits of a private chef coming into your home, which I have a small, you included, I have a small little, literal handful of people that I'm still doing that for, or you are getting like things that taste restaurant quality, but aren't, you know, without so much salt or so much oil. And you're just getting that feeling of home cooking without the mess and doing it yourself. But there's a balance there. And there's not a like, this is bad. This is good. I think that language is something that I've really worked on steering away from bad for you, good for you, etc. So like I interviewed Julia Tertian, who's written a lot of amazing cookbooks. And she'd recently, Bon Appetit had published one of the essays from her new cookbook, Simply Julia, where she was talking about how she was healing her relationship with food. And something that she said is like, we all have to kind of discover or define what is healthy for us. Yeah. Um, What does the word healthy mean to you? How, How do you define it? So for me, what is healthy is really like whole food eating. It's like, okay, if most of the time I know that I'm nourishing myself with food that is going to keep me satiated, whether that's a piece of, and and quality ingredients for me is very close to the word healthy. So a piece of sourdough bread with peanut butter or a fat or something, or avocado, another fat, or an egg for protein with some hummus, another fat, good fats here healthy to me that I know, okay, I'm going to eat this and I'm going to like feel full for a while and I'm not going to feel sluggish and things like that. That is a big piece of what is healthy. And then also knowing like that I want, I love fries. I love potatoes, like any kind of potato is my, so having potatoes or fries once in a while, because I know it's from a really fucking good place and I want that burger that is also healthy to me. So a relationship where you are thoughtfully eating the thing, you know, the stop think part, you're thoughtfully eating, thoughtfully choosing your food and what you're putting into your body. And if that's something that wouldn't be quote unquote healthy, like a burger and fries, but you're sure about the sourcing and you're excited about it and you haven't had something that good or like that in a long time, that to me is also healthy or a part of a healthy relationship with food. It's not restrictive. No, I'm not going to eat a burger for five days in a row. Just too much. Too much. Will you eat a cheeseburger and fries? Will I mm-hmm. for five days in a row or just one? No, no. Would you? <laughs> will you have a cheeseburger every once in a while? Will you have a creamy yeah. pasta every once in a while? Absolutely. Is there a place for that in your life? Yes. And that I think is healthy. So there's no good and bad. There's no, I mean, what I would say is bad. 
And what I try to stay away from is consistent, like packaged food. A good burger from, I don't know, I'm like obsessed with Evergreen Butcher and Baker. So their burger <laughs> on-, on, on Sunday, 35 <laughs> deep for that burger. That was a big nope. When I went to go pick up my veggies from Love is Love, I was like, I can't, I can't. I can't. <laughs> no, but it's amazing. And that is thoughtful. Every single piece of that burger is thoughtful. Every single piece. Or mm-hmm. no, there's a lot of good good burgers in town or a avocado burger with fries or, you know, you know that they're grinding their meat and that it's good cheese. Like I would rather eat that, you know, I would just rather eat that than eating diet lean cuisine. That is not healthy for me. A diet lean cuisine does not equate to healthy for me. I've done it all. I've done Weight Watchers. I've done Whole30. I did Fen Fen back in the day. I was doing intermittent fasting when I first met you. Do you um, like intermittent fasting? What were your thoughts on that? I'm a real emotional eater. At yeah. least I was. And it really helped me put an end to the nighttime yeah. eating. But I was finding that I was hungry at 10 a.m. And my body wanted something at 10. And I was waiting until noon to give it. And it didn't yeah. make sense. And then I've been doing a lot of just listening to other really brilliant people about food and relationships and have been exploring just eating intuitively. That was my next point. Like intuitive eating to me is the healthiest way to think about food. Good. I'm on the right track. <laughs> I mean, that's what eating the burger for me is or, or getting a delicious bowl of pasta. Like I dream about the lasagna at Boca Lupo. Dream about it. And I'm like, okay, when I go there, I know it is melt in your mouth delicious and so it's like i dream about that so i'm gonna eat it when i go there and i'm really thinking about it and eating intuitively about it so for me that's healthy intuitive eating most of the time to 80 percent whole foods 20 percent my pasta burger whatever that i really feel like or I'm not restrictive on. And I used to be so restrictive, so restrictive. When I eat a cheeseburger, I, or at least in the past, I would always internally be like, I was so bad yesterday and I had that burger. So to you, that is not bad. There is no bad, like you're not acting bad. I used to think that. And, you know, my sister and I talk about this a lot because she has struggled with food and weight and things for her whole life, I would say more than me in a different way. And there's a lot of that talk, good, bad. I was so bad yesterday. I have to be excellent today. And I have worked very hard to get out of that mindset because I know that, listen, I definitely still do it once in a while. I'm like, oh, wow, I had a, but I've even tried to, you know, and this I talked to clients about, it's changing that language. Like, I had a friend here this weekend. I went to great restaurants and really enjoyed myself. I'm not going to feel excellent or feel energized this week if I continue to drink like I did this weekend or eat like I did this weekend. But did I eat pizza at midnight on Saturday night? I sure did. You know, and I'm not going to beat myself up about it Sunday morning because that's what I needed Saturday night. But Sunday, I'm just going to probably not eat as much. Or because I just want to feel better. And I think that when you are intuitively eating, you're in touch with with that. Okay, I just ate X, Y, and Z restaurant. I feel super bloated and heavy. I don't want to feel that way. Like 
That is the intuitive eating piece. And I think, again, for me, the sourcing is so important. So I'm going to feel bad if I eat a, a burger from McDonald's. Like I, that is, I do have no's, like no. And that's more Boundary. Boundaries are healthy. Boundaries, you know, it's like, I do have boundaries. That is just not going to, I'm going to feel more ethically bad about that than calorie wise. It's probably the same as the other burger, but I don't feel good about that choice. And so for me, good and bad is more in the sourcing and where it's coming from today. I will not, that was not always the case, but today that is more of the, the good and bad than thinking about the calories. And Listen, I will say if you are really, and I do know this as well from working with nutritionists, both as partners in referring meal prep, if, if you're really trying to lose weight, there's a different way to do it than just eating whole foods and kind of doing what I'm talking about. You do need to cut your calories to a certain degree if you're really trying to lose 10, 20 pounds for health reasons or for your own reasons. So there are benefits to that as well. There are healthier ways to do that. So I I think that also if you're really trying to lose weight, like where's that deeply coming from? And it's a lot of what you said and you said you're an emotional eater. So where is that deeply coming from? What are you trying to fill with that food when you're emotionally eating? So getting to the bottom of that is as important as like maybe eating salads and protein to drop or you know what you talked about before, but chicken breast and we're not a diet, like Chopping Chew is not a diet meal prep company. Yeah. I think no, that I know that. I know that. I mean, I I came to you at first thinking that I wanted locale, but like as I said, I'm doing this journey with intuitive eating because like, listen, I like tacos. I like to go have Chinese noodles. I do think there's a place for it. I cook really vegetable forward anyway. But I know I'm not going to lose weight with intuitive eating, but that's the Mm -hmm. other part is where I'm really just trying to accept that, you know, I'm a size 12 and that's fine. That's that's fine. And I think that a lot of that messaging for me has come from male doctors that they're like, "Mm, you need to lose a little weight if you want to be super healthy. You should be like this. And I'm 5'4", but my body just does not want to be a size 2. It does not. I'm athletic. I work out. It's just- and that's also, and that's like, you've got to know your body. And so much of actually the teaching and the language with um, IIN, the health coaching in a Institute for Integrative Nutrition is, is like this whole concept of bio-individuality. My body is different than my sister's body. It's different than your body. Like what you need and what size you need to be and all of that varies. And that bio-individuality is so important. But again, getting to the deep place of where I know a lot of like call them skinny fat people, they look really skinny. They eat like crap. Oh, yeah. I know. Like, and I and I hate them. They're, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we all grew up in a society where we have been told I'll never forget. I'm not going to be too specific here, but because um, I think I would be a. Uh, called out on it but i'll never forget i was at a shabbat dinner and somebody we're talking about like this wonderful yoga teacher that i know and somebody said she's talking about what a great yoga teacher and then one of the south african ladies oh she's quite thick and i'm like what i'm like she is 
fit and strong and beautiful. I got so mad and I took it personally. Cause I'm like, if you think she's thick, what the hell do you think about me? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this language is so unhealthy and the expectation varies. And yeah, bio-individuality and what I need versus what you need is different. Losing weight. And if you really like, my sister and I talk about this all the time. If you are really trying to lose weight and you're really, again, for health reasons or for your own self-esteem or whatever you want, for whatever reasons, there are different things that work versus intuitive eating. But I will say that I, when I do start with everybody to go back, you ask me what healthy is. I just think it's a not shaming yourself with regards to food. And it's way easier said than done. Because there's also the whole thing of like food addiction. And that is all very real. It's very real. And, you know, there's certain addictions that you can just cut out, but you need food. So it's a much harder addiction. Like you don't have to drink, you don't have to do drugs. You know, there's, Mm. you can live without those things as hard as it is for addicts. But food addiction, I mean, you're around it all the time. You have to eat. And so it's, you know, it's, it's tough. But for me, yeah, healthy is not shaming. It's eating whole foods 80% of the time. And, and it's sourcing, you know, it's sourcing. It's, is this burger coming from a healthy, happy cow? Is the bread, you know, made with good flour? Is that good cheese that, that has love and intention behind it? Who is the person that, you know, grew those tomatoes? Are we eating tomatoes in December? Like right now we have organic tomatoes on our Cobb salad. But even now I'm, I was like, oh, can't put tomatoes on yet. You know, (laughs) some people do, do like McMullen does them like in their, in their greenhouse. Yeah. um, So you can eat tomatoes, I think like now, maybe not. Yeah, like now, but you know, I'm like, Okay, we can't eat tomatoes in December. Where are those coming from? They'll never be on my menu, you know? So it's healthy is not, it's what you're putting in your body, but how it's like coming to to you. And we're not perfect about it. I'm not perfect about it. But my line is more on the stuff coming out of like boxes. And that's what I would consider not real food and and junk and crap really. And what is this? Versus not eating like a delicious bowl of pasta. You're listening to The Food That Binds with Jennifer Zeman on the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network. I'm speaking with Julia Kessler Immerman. So like just in terms of weight loss, I saw one on one of your Instagram posts that you had just like, it said like no calorie counting. And (laughs) like, so what was your intention behind posting that? I think it goes back to the relationship with food that I've been talking about. Again, weight loss and needing to lose weight is a different topic. And I also don't want to discount that or undervalue that that sometimes is needed. But it's like needing to lose 20 pounds or 10 pounds or five pounds is very different than being obese and really needing to lose like 100 pounds because you're really putting too much stress on your organs and your body. And I'm... No doctor, so but that is a different thing. But I think when you're counting calories in terms of a restrictive mentality and you are counting calories to a sort of control, you know, that's very different. You're so far from intuitive eating. Like 
okay, I'm going to eat my soba bowl. It's a hefty port, like it's a healthy yes. portion Sometimes in I there. Can't finish it. Yeah. And that's fine. Stop eating half of it and put it away and come back. Good at that. Cause I'm like very much like the texture is so good. And then the vinegar and then mm-hmm. the crunch of the cabbage and then the edamame is just like not overcooked and like super green. So mm-hmm. like for me, I just like really enjoy eating. <laughs> so oh, I think, you. You know, and I want to give like, I, you know, then as a business owner and as a, you know, it's hard, like customers are outward facing retail is it's challenging in terms of like having a food business. Cause if then the portion was too small, people would be like, totally. No, I finish it most of the time, but, but I have just a hard time in general, just leaving anything on the plate. Yeah. You know, I think that's like part of the way we grew up. Like my dad was like, finish it. And my mom would be like, better wasted in the trash than wasted in your stomach. And my dad's like, finish every bite. And I'm like, oh my God, mixed messaging here, parents, mixed messaging. Well, I've got to get mine under control because I have like two nine-year-old girls here that are like watching everything I do, you know? Yeah. And then luckily That's they true. have pretty good relationships with food because like, like your grandma, I bake the bread, you know, I grow the vegetables, you know, like they know where it's coming from. I think that when the kids have a hand in it, it really makes a difference. So something I do want to talk about, I don't know how to ask this question without sounding like a jackass, but I feel like it's something we have to discuss. Do you ever feel like we are so privileged to even like be hyper considering like the sourcing of our food? Like it's so easy for us with the means and the relationships and the resourcefulness to get these vegetables from these local farmers. But a lot of people don't have those resources or they can't afford it. How can they eat the way that you you define as healthy. Absolutely. Like the fact that we even have time to think about this is a privilege. The Atlanta local food community is complex and has a lot of layers. Um, And the local food community does too, because there is a P, there is affording and paying what it really costs for the value of what we're talking about um, in terms of food and the farmer's markets and, and really how much vegetables and things should cost, but grocery stores or just mass buying power in the food chain has distorted what people think like food should cost. I have family members that have the means that would come to the farmer's markets when we started the pop-up and be like, wow, how is a bag of tomatoes so expensive? I'm like, that's what it costs. Like, Or just don't come if you're going to, you know, <laughs> or like meat at the farmer's market being what it costs. Um, and I have that conversation or things with people buying meal prep. They're like, why, sh- why is there a minimum? Why is there, um, you know, wow, did that go up in price? I'm like, well, yeah, because like, this is what things cost and it's gone up in price for me. Inflation. So There are ways, and we did a lot of this work with Captain Planet to feed a family of four greens and a protein, something that can sustain them for like not so much. So you can get a $6.99 whole chicken and a bag of lettuce and like three or four potatoes for under $12 for a family of four. Or if not lettuce, like broccoli. I think that's so much of the time. And this was what really was awesome about being a like the, what the community farmers market does in terms of the chef educators. That's kind of that I started cooking for in the local food community. But whether it was matching SNAP EBT dollars or what so many wave. markets in Atlanta do now, which is amazing. Yeah, which is and, and Wholesome Wave makes that possible. But having somebody there that's like, oh, what can I do with this? 
vegetable, like very simply. I think a lot of the times, even if you could go get a purchased rotisserie chicken and just like two bunches of broccoli for like 99.98 cents to roast and put potatoes in the oven, I think a lot of the time people don't even know how to do that. But a big thing of like veggie or turkey chili, really cheap way to eat with, again, lettuce or broccoli or some kind of green on the side. And there are definitely ways for it. But I think that a lot of the the trouble and that's not even that's not, you know, I would say, again, that's the premise of while sourcing and like supporting farmers is the premise of which Stopping Chew has grown from. The other big piece of that is just whole food eating. And you can whole food eat without it being organic, without it being local or anything like that. You can eat whole foods for much you know, cheaper without it being organic or those things. And that is, that's a great place to start. You already listed two things that I make for my family very often, a big picture. Yeah. And roast chicken with salad. So talking about vegetables, I mean, the way that I came to know you is through Fresh Harvest, who was my pandemic saving grace. They are a local Clarkston-based, uh, I guess, aggregator of local artisans and vegetables. And they deliver vegetables, dairy, meats from all these great local farmers, many of the ones that I love, like Crystal yeah. Organic, Rogers Greens and Roots. Um, and they deliver them in a reusable bin to your doorstep on a weekly basis. And you can really avoid going and having to deal with people if you're like me and you like things like that, which was very helpful during the pandemic. But they do sell also your bowls, many yeah. of your dressings, which are amazing, uh, and, and a lot of yeah. other things. Can you tell me about your relationship with them and, and, and why you love them? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love them so much. And I just met with them last week and we're going to keep adding on products. Um, so we got super lucky as a business in COVID really because of our relationship with them. So pre pandemic, or I would say end of 2019, I was, had a handful of private clients had this pop-up at the farmer's market that was called brekkie and our brekkie bowls are still what we sell on fresh harvest and bowls have been the basis of our business. <laughs> a friend connected us and she's no longer selling on um, on Fresh Harvest, but she had the ha- Happy Camper hand pies, which were so good. And she connected me to Fresh Harvest. And she was, but I was just like, I don't think we have the production. Like, I don't even know what we, you know, we don't have the space. I don't even know how I would do this. And at the time it was me and one other employee who's still with me. And she just has seen our evolution and growth. And and I was like, okay, well, we need another person and we need to maybe just let's just start with the bowls. And they were picking up, I think their business doubled during the pandemic. And so they were picking up and they wanted to offer more prepared foods. And I was like, okay, this is a great test to having more products. And honestly, at the end, I got married at the end of 2019 in Mexico, actually, but I was private chefing and doing, I stopped what at the time was like 14 ish person meal delivery, but it just wasn't efficient. I was doing the delivery, me and then to like the person that's still with me and somebody else were doing the meal prep, but um, it just wasn't sustainable. And then I was going wedding and I was just like planning that. And I was just like, I can't do, I can't do this. And I didn't know what Stop Think Chew was going to be or 
or anything like that. I mean, we got back from all of that. COVID started and we were still cooking for a couple of clients, small caterings here and there, but I just wasn't sure what Dobson Chu was going to be and how it was going to evolve. And I was like, am I doing this? Am I not doing this? Like, this has either got to scale. I didn't want to just go the private chef route. I've done that. I cooked for celebrities. I would hear for movies. I cooked for another local, I guess I'd say, you know, top name in Atlanta in their house for several weeks. I was like, I, this is just not what I want to do. It's not scalable. I'm really on somebody else's beck and call. I'm not making my food. I'm really just making whatever they want to eat. And I was just like, no. Also, I ended meal prep at the end of 2019 and went to work on the opening team of Aziza, which was an amazing experience. Talbon, the owner, is an incredible mentor and person like running restaurants and has survived through the pandemic. And she's unbelievable. Yeah, she really is. And I was at Aziza and I was just like wanting to learn restaurants more. I was just like, I need to professionalize a little bit more. I had worked in plenty of restaurants, worked in catering. I didn't go to culinary school, but had grown up in different versions of kitchens. So kind of just figuring it out, learning period. So then Fresh Harvest came. This is a roundabout way to tell you about my relationship with Fresh Harvest. But I'm very interested. So, <laughs> so Fresh Harvest came along in... I think we started doing bowls with them for May in May of 2020. And we've been doing bowls with them every single week since. It's almost a year. And we've just added on products. Um, and it has been amazing for us. Number one, it's allowed our business to grow literally like 550% this year and adding on meal prep come October or October of last year, we added in meal prep and are now doing that weekly. We're looking to add on a second meal prep delivery day, as well as uh, because of Fresh Harvest grow into hopefully a bigger space soon. But Fresh Harvest, just we just decided like we have very aligned values of how we're sourcing, obviously how the customers that they already have are. And they're, they handle the, the distribution, which is huge. So we basically prepare food for them Sunday to Wednesday in different kind of production cycle, get it to them and they get it to their customers. And they are interested and, you know, it's kind of this ongoing relationship that I really appreciate. Um, They are interested in growing their prepared foods offerings for people to do more of their grocery shopping with them. Mm -hmm. But they don't have have everything they have. I mean, it's, I mean, I, the selection really gets up and up there. I mean, you can get flour, milk, all the things that you want to do. So this week, actually, we added on chicken salad and tuna salad, which we do on meal prep and salsa, and which we do on meal prep every week. But it's like they can't do any prepare foods with their licensing. So, you know, my whole conversation with them and how do we really be partners? What other prepared foods do you want? What do your customers want? So that people are going to them and then we have you no know, greater means for wholesale distribution. And we just are so grateful that they have the reach that they do and the customers that they do. And like you, we've had a few people convert to getting meal prep, which is awesome and like has been huge exposure. and. We just hope to continue to grow with them because they're excellent partners and they push us, you know, and, and learning things from customers and customer habits has allowed us, you know, it influences meal prep. And look, I'm just super grateful for the partnership and Zach and Joe and Daniel and their whole team are, are also just passionate and care about what they're doing. And they care so much about the details and the ingredients and the, 
the value and they don't want to cut corners, which I you know, greatly appreciate. And also, so in addition to this, I'm on the board of Global Growers, which has allowed me to stay in the nonprofit community. Can you tell what Global Growers is? Yeah, the Global Growers Network is a network of refugee farmers. They're mostly based in Clarkston. We've just purchased land because there was a big flood last year, but this is a real opportunity for Global Growers to own the land. Shameless plug, but you know, we're in the middle of a a capital campaign, or we'll be launching that in the next few months. So hopefully in your show notes, we can link to that if people are interested in learning more. And do you want to plug any? Um, We are just really grateful, number one, for this conversation, Jennifer, like having clients and customers like you, and just that are that appreciate uh, how much love and attention does go into everything. We um, are super excited. We've just hired a a big position, a director of operations. She has worked for every top restaurant in Atlanta, Ford Fry, Todd Ginsburg, Annie Quattrano, Tall Bomb. Like she's come, her name's Layla Locke and she's coming from that um, world and really going to get our operations, I think, into tip top shape so that we can continue to grow and I'm really grateful for Fresh Harvest and our partners like Garnish and Gather as well for and our just regular ongoing meal prep customers and the people that have stuck with us for a long time to see this growth because our team has grown. We went from two people in like February of 2020 to three people to now almost nine. And it's really because of that. And the kitchen manager is doing a great job. And I just feel really lucky to have these people on our team a part of this because it's not always easy. There are struggles and there are behind... I, had, I almost posted on Instagram this whole like, what do you re- do you really want to know what happens in a week? Because <laughs> it is not so glamorous. And I wish I could, ha- you know, I appreciate you having the opportunity to take time to talk through this stuff because definitely don't, doesn't often happen. Did so, we talk about everything you wanted to talk about? I mean, yeah. cause like you said, there's things that you want to talk about. You don't have the opportunity to. No, I mean, I think so. Just talking about the journey, just talking about why we do this, why I do this, and just tell more about like how, st- you know, I think sometimes it just appears and people don't know what, you know, why or how, or I was told a few weeks ago, and I've been trying to post about it more. Like, it's just interesting, like that our, our, all our packaging is compostable. Somebody was like, oh, it's a lot of plastic. I'm like, no, 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 it's compostable. And it's just interesting that people drop in or how you're telling, you know, a story or a narrative as building a brand, things get missed. So this has been a really nice opportunity to talk about a lot of it um, and talk about the growth and that it's not always easy, but um, it takes many hands and, and consistent support and consistent customers that come back week after week tells me we're doing something right, but also appreciate when suggestions are made or we're just always wanting to improve. But Stopping True is continuing on and to grow. We're going to continue to grow wholesale, hopefully get into a few local groceries. Mm -hmm. um, So you can go and buy things like hummus and the dressings kind of more ad hoc, which we're really excited about. Bringing Layla on is a big part of growing that side of things. Um, Meal prep will continue to grow. And if any of your listeners want to get 10% off, they can use the code FARMERFORWARD at checkout. Mm -hmm. Stop Think Chew and Brash Coffee, who we supply. We are going to be opening a restaurant together. (laughs) What? 
I know. Coffee and, well, they just did that with the Chastain, didn't they partner with the Chastain? Well, yeah, that is a little bit different. So they like supply the coffee, but the Chastain runs the whole program, but they supply it to them and they train the baristas. We are going in on this restaurant together. That's huge. So tell me more about what the concept is. Yeah. So it is going to be called the Brash, it's going to be called Brash Kitchen. But um, Brash being the coffee and me slash my team being the food side. But this is going to be a separate business from Stop Think Chew. So Stop Think Chew will continue to grow. Um, And yeah, I'm really excited. It is, I would say, I don't think that anything exists like this in Atlanta. It is like South African Aussie style cafe, uh, really great coffee, unapologetically delicious food, but things like shakshuka and some of our bowls and fresh breads and great salads will be on the menu. Definitely Mediterranean slash my South African influence will be on there, but really cozy, comforting staples for my palate, I would say. Um, but this this cafe, this cafe vibe, there will be drinks on the weekend. Uh, again, really good coffee, high quality, simple but crave worthy dishes. Seven where to are you four. gonna do this? When you, where location, are you thinking? Yep. The location is at the works. Oh. Um, it's Seelig's new development on the west side. So it's a new property. Things are opening up there slowly. We are there is a food hall that um, I'm sure I don't know if you've written about it yet, but Andrew Zimmerman from Yeah, the- I was I was invited to the opening, but then I got COVID scared. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> not ready. I'm not ready for a food hall yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're not in the food hall. We're going to be a standalone restaurant. Nice. Congrats. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It's kind of like stop thing chew growth and changes are like happening at the same time. So it's interesting, but I'm grateful again for my team because it's the only way that I can do both. Um, that we can do both, but yeah, more details to come on that. Where can my listeners find your food and where can they follow you on social? Absolutely. So everything is at stop, think, chew. That's the best way to find us on Instagram. That's where we're most active or www.stopthinkchew.com. We offer weekly meal prep uh, for delivery Sunday in the Atlanta area. We do go down to Sarah and B now. Um, will service like Alpharetta, Marietta. Um, so not just Atlanta, if you're in one of those suburbs. And then you can find our products on Fresh Harvest, freshharvestga.com. We also have a couple of things on Garnish and Gather. So right now that's where you can find us. Definitely stay tuned for more. And then we still do some small catering. Um, definitely you can get our brekkie bowls and lunch catered we do some small like more bespoke stuff still but um if your office is going back we'll need a launch party we are doing our bowls and you know individually packed which is still nice and safe for covid but yeah everything's just at stop think chew well, thank you so much for being here julia i love your food and i'm really excited to see the, the next evolution <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer. I'm so thank you for yeah allowing me the time to to talk about it, and um, it's been fun getting to know you more too. I you know I feed you weekly, but um, I feel like I'm just 
continuing to get to know you, which has been such a pleasure. That wraps up this episode of The Food That Binds. Thank you for listening and thank you to Julia for taking the time to speak with me. If you want to keep up with what she's doing, you can follow her as Stop Think Chew on Instagram or visit her company, StopThinkChew.com. If you want to keep up with me on social, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. Please don't forget to rate and review the podcast because it helps other people find me. Next week, I'm joined by Chef Jason Simpson. Jason has become a permanent fixture in the Atlanta restaurant community, working at restaurants such as Tom Colicchio's Craft, King and Duke, St. Cecilia, and served as the executive chef at Muchacho and Golden Eagle in Reynoldstown. He recently accepted a position in California as Culinary Development Director for Citrine Hospitality, Inc., which owns restaurants like Melise, Citrine, Charcoal Venice, Dave's Doghouse, Dear John's, and Open Air. Jason and I talked about growing up in California, his path towards becoming a chef, mental health, and so much more. Again, I'm Jennifer Zeman, and you've been listening to The Food That Binds on the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network. 